This is Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? Hey, welcome to Can I Laugh on Your Shoulder? I'm Molly Stillman, and this is a podcast where I get to sit down with a different guest each week and have raw, funny, often brutally honest conversations about the things that matter most, faith, business, life, and everything in between, where we each learn how to be good stewards of the things we've been entrusted with, even our stories, and how we can use those things to serve others and leave our families, our friendships, and our communities a little better than we found them. I want to create a space where people are unafraid to be themselves and unafraid to ask the questions the rest of us are thinking. My goal is to make you laugh, cry, and laugh till you cry. My guest this week is Carmen Black. Carmen Black is the co-founder and CEO of Half United. Founded in 2009 in Wilmington, North Carolina, Half United is a globally-minded, human-first lifestyle brand committed to partnering with customers to fight hunger and empower lives with each purchase made. Each collection reflects Carmen's love of fashion, philanthropy, and travel, seen every season in the product design, as well as the videos of the people and places where each purchase helps. Half United is sold in more than 300 stores globally and embraces a philosophy of humans first and by fighting hunger and poverty, specifically for children and families with every purchase made. They've partnered with organizations in Cambodia, Liberia, Fiji, Nepal, and right here in the United States. They've provided school lunch meals, creating school gardens, giving away holiday meals. They've started fish farms and even purchasing beehives that provide honey and pollinate school crops. I have been a huge fan of Half United for years. In fact, they were one of the first companies that I started following back in the original or kind of early days of my ethical fashion and purchasing with purpose journey. And I'm so excited that I finally got the chance to sit down and chat with Carmen. And we talk a lot about what does it look like to find our true north in our lives, in our businesses. We talk about what is the means to the end in what we do? What is our why? Oh, this conversation gets deep. It is so good. I love Carmen and I love the work that they are doing with Half United. So I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. So without further ado, on to my chat with Carmen Black. It's always an exciting day when I have a fellow North Carolinian on the show. So uh, Carmen, welcome. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, Molly, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today and get to know you. And this is great. This is awesome. Okay, well, real quick. So for the listeners and, and for me also selfishly. So where in North Carolina are you guys based? Okay, we are in Wilmington, North okay. Carolina. Yeah. Like as, as far east in the United States as you can I know. get. It's like where I-40 and ends. I-40 ends in my town and we literally live right on the beach. So Yes. Okay, so my family and I go to Oak Island multiple times a a year. So it's it's not that it's like a hop skip and a jump from there. So, you know, and we're not that far. We're only like probably uh, like a hair over two and a half, two hours from each other two and a half hours maybe in Hillsborough yeah mean? yeah yeah oh yeah no you're yeah you're two hours away and then when you come to Oak Island you're like 30 minutes away so you definitely have to come to our yeah. retail store um, yeah 
Okay, next yeah, time, we're next we're time we're I'm in town, you, yeah, <laughs> it's a date, Carmen. It's a date. We're already, we're, I can't wait. I we're, can't wait. We're already making it happen. Okay. Well, yeah. I am so pumped about this because I have loved your work and um, have followed Half United for a long time. I have, I think, one of the like OG uh, bullet jewelry pieces yeah. from you know, like when you guys first kind of started. Um, so I'm just really excited to get to know you and, um, to call you a friend. And so let's dive right in and I'm going to have you give us the Carmen 101. So who are you? What do you do? How'd you get to where you are? Okay. Oh my gosh. You know how like that question, uh, you know, no pressure. I I know I could take like a year to answer that question. So I am a female, I don't know, I'll, I'll give the canned answer. I'm a female social entrepreneur. I own a company, of course, called Half United, which has now been in business for 13 years. Um, we exist to fight hunger and poverty with every purchase made. We give seven meals to children and families in need. Sometimes the children are in the families we support. Sometimes it's just adults and So uh, we sort of say it that way, but kids and families in need, um, every time you make a purchase, we, gosh, it's like spoiler alert, Um, later this year, we are actually going to be segmenting our brand into a for-profit and nonprofit entity, which is really exciting. The nonprofit entity now, after 13 years, has a $500,000 community kitchen at a local MLK center that is being started by us in partnership with the city of Wilmington. Mm. We have an urban farm that we operate. We have 10 community gardens that we operate and a farm to school program at a local middle school. In addition to, you know, we work with an orphanage in Uganda and we gainfully employ hundreds of people in eight different developing nations to make our products. Not all of our products, are made in developing countries, but I would say 90% of them are. And the other percentage that aren't simply because it's not like a handmade product, like screen printed t-shirts, we do those here in Wilmington. So, um, but, you know, why do I do what I do? So growing up, my dad and both of my grandfathers on both sides were ministers. Mm. And, you know, I think, regardless of anyone's religious belief, whatever, you know, when you are a child raised, you know, it's not just my dad. It's like dad, grandparents, my uncle also is a minister. It's like everyone in our family is, (laughs) but it's it's like the, we joke, it's like the family business. Yeah. Great. Um, but when you are raised in a household where every angle you turn and I'm very close to my family, you know, if I wasn't with my parents, I was with my grandparents. If I wasn't with them, I was with my aunt and uncle. And So when every angle that you turn within your family unit, there is an emphasis on, you know, I mean, I don't know how to say it, selflessness, giving to others, sort of denying yourself in order to make sure that others needs are met. And this isn't like a, you know, it's not like some, um, how do I say, like, uh, the word that's coming is like a monastery. It's not that this isn't, it's not like we were part of a sect where, you know, we, we wear robes and we deny ourselves of any pleasures in this world. It's just more so that, you know, um, if I'm hanging out with grandpa after school on a Wednesday, that night, he likely has church. 
And instead of me, you know, going to soccer practice after school, grandpa picks me up from school and we go change the bedpans of, you know, a, a local elderly woman and then go into a low income neighborhood and pick up eight kids in a van. And then we go to church. And this was like my everyday existence. Adversely, my mother and most of the women in my family is, and not that the men in our family are not fashionable, but my mom and many of the women in my family not only were extremely fashionable, but worked in the fashion industry. And so my mm -hmm. mom is an interior designer, but when I was very little, did interior spaces for high, high-end retail, like we're talking luxury retail, and also department stores, um, and you know, just major brands that any one of us would have heard of and visited their stores. And so I was raised in this way where I had this very weird dichotomy. You know, on this side, it's like, you know the focus on basically living like Jesus and emulating the way that he lived on earth. And on this side, though, my every woman in my family is also a believer. It's very much a focus on creativity and, um, you know, I don't know, just sort of like living in this elaborately creative space where um, design and fashion is like at the forefront and, and sort of like every decision that is made hinges on this sort of like, I don't know, creative um, like direction in your life. And so, you know, you take those two things combined and I felt like... <laughs> the older I got, it was very hard for me to understand how am I going to take these influences that have been imparted to me in my life and sort of combine them to find a career that works for me. Like I didn't just want to work in the nonprofit sector because that would deny myself of this, like that, this love of fashion that I have. And I didn't really just want to work in fashion, especially couture fashion, because it isn't often the most selfless place to be. Right. And so there was this weird like thing then in 20, let's see. Oh gosh. I'm like totally aging myself in like 2009. I got this offer to go and um, do a six month stint. It was like this program I was a part of at Tom shoes. And it was like my whole world open. I'm like, Holy cow. We've got fashion. We've got philanthropy. They have combined it. And every time you sell this fashion product, you're giving to someone in need and it was like, it was literally as if my life had like changed. And I'm like, whoa, you can combine these. So since 2009, that's what I've done for a living. And here we are all these many years later. Okay. I think that is the most fascinating background. And it's so funny as you were talking and you were kind of telling these stories about your grandfathers and, and it's like in my head, I was almost like, okay, I know that this is going somewhere, but like, I don't know where it's going. And I love it. <laughs> and I right. and I, I, I mean that in like the, this, this clearly has influenced her and what is the, And then like, when you throw in, you're like, and then the women in my family were like, hi. And I was like, wait, what? You know, it just, it, I love the, the, the mix of the backgrounds and, and you're right. It's when you're in those worlds, you're almost like, I don't know how these two things mesh together. And then all of a sudden your world just opened up. And so in 2009, you started Half United. And, um, you know, we're going to start kind of at the beginning. Just like I said, I, I think I own one of the, you know, original kind of the bullet jewelry. And if people aren't familiar, um, that was, I think, one of your... Was it one of the first products that you guys did? 
So yeah, it kind of was. I think it we developed that product probably a year and a half into running this company when we realized, okay, because at the time early on, we I made handmade jewelry um, of like I would go to craft stores and just buy like baskets of stuff. And then I'd go home and I would just assemble it and make these elaborate kind of like it wasn't it wasn't like a collection, nothing, nothing really looked the same, but they would sell like pretty effortlessly. And so I thought, huh, okay, jewelry works for us, but we need like a wearable symbol of your fight against hunger. Because if you're wearing this necklace, like that's fine. But if we had a dual purpose where this necklace also served as sort of a statement as you're wearing it, where people would ask you, what is that? Is that a dog whistle? Is that a, what is that? Mm. Um, you know, you could say, actually, no, this is a recycled bullet casing. It's been transformed from a what can often be a negative um, tool into a positive symbol of fighting hunger or hope and healing because bullets fight, but now this fights hunger. And I mean, that product really took off for us and kind of like put us on the map. Yeah. Um, and actually, I'll tell you, we are in the moment right now trying to decide, and I'd love your opinion either on air I'm, or- I'm down. Let's off. do it right now. We're de- trying to decide, should we vault that product? Um, or should we sort of like redo it in a fresh new way and relaunch it? Because, you know, in 2009, of course, gun violence absolutely existed, but it wasn't to the degree that it existed, for example, when the Sandy Hook shooting happened. Mm-hmm. And it's when Sandy Hook happened that we thought, okay, our bullet necklaces are the antithesis of a school shooting. They are a symbol of hope and healing and repurposing something meant for bad Mm. and turning it into something that is good. Similar to how we wear crosses around our necks, right? right? Like we're all desensitized, I think probably and rightfully so, what to what a cross actually is now right. it is a symbol of hope for many many people right and so we thought okay that's what our bullets represent but we were like you know i just don't know if this is appropriate any longer because people don't understand that this is turning a negative into a positive so we're kind of like we're now at this phase where we're like, should we vault this, you know, and then maybe reintroduce a new product or should we reintroduce it? So, okay. Well, uh, no, I'm glad that you're asking um, my opinion. And do I know uh, the, the, the perfect right answer? No, I'll tell you my gut. My gut says to revamp it and to not vault it because I remember at the time when I first came across the work you were doing and I, got one of those bullet necklaces and I loved the story behind it. And I loved the idea of redeeming something that is used to harm, but to give people hope and to, to, you know, so I, I am all about redemption. Um, that is my own personal story is a story of redemption. And I so often this narrative that I hear from a lot of people is, Oh, well, I can't do that because I did this, or I am too far gone, or I am worthless, or I have made too many mistakes in my life, or I have hurt too many people, and I can't reconcile those relationships, or that I can't be forgiven when that is false and that the gospel is good news and that the gospel is is a story of forgiveness, of hope, of reconciliation, of you know, redemption that is all over the Bible. And so like, that is something that I 
am very, very much uh, a fan of and encourage and and love to talk to people about. Um, because I mean, I didn't grow up in the church, so I did not have like the story you did. Now I grew up around parents and around a mother, especially who was incredibly selfless. Um, mm. It's a longer story for a longer day. But so I have a, a very similar story to yours, just without the church. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, so for for me, I love to have that conversation. And I think it's an important conversation to have of, of, of there is, you're not hopeless. You're not unworthy. You're not useless. Um, you know, and so I, I think that that can be a really powerful symbol of this thing that can cause a visceral reaction in people, um, can, can cause people to feel anger and to feel, you know, all sorts of feelings. Um, but to take something like that and to redeem it and to um, repurpose it and to show, nope, that there's actually hope on the other side of this, I think is really, really powerful and something that I think makes what you do unique. I really like that. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's interesting. We've asked a lot of people and we have gotten mixed reviews. So it's, but you know what? It's like that product. It's always going to get mixed reviews. I mean, it was never a safe, it was never a safe bet to, right. to sell that. And we always knew, it, and it's interesting, we... <laughs> People either have a visceral reaction in a bad way, which is actually the minority. Like I've, I, I have been pleasantly surprised by that, or they have a reaction in a really good way, or people just think it's like a necklace pendant. <laughs> yeah, and they don't know and they don't care. And even when you try to educate them, they still don't care. That has been the funniest thing to me. I'm like, well, here we are all worried about this, and most people are like, well, I just like it because it's a necklace. Moving on. I'm like. Hey, you still gave seven meals to someone in need. So yeah, <laughs> thanks for doing a good job. So, um, but thank you for that. And I'll keep you posted on what we decide. Um, yeah, I please do. And I'm very eager to see what you, you know, the creativity that the creative side that comes out of you <laughs> that, that does something with it and, and to see where it, to see where it goes. Right. right. Very cool. Yeah. Okay, so I want to transition a little bit because I, you know, to kind of talk a little bit about that that piece of the puzzle that is so important to you, and that is this, uh, the issue of fighting hunger. And, you know, I know that you come from this philanthropic background and a background where you're, you know, you're, you're, the men in your life really influenced you in this way. Why was this the, the issue that for you was really top of mind and something that you felt, you know, I see this as something that I really want to to take on and tackle, not only in my own backyard, but also overseas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting as you sit and ask me that question, of course, I'm listening to you, but I'm having to at the same time think, okay, how am I going to answer this? And what flashed literally as I, if I could capture this, what flashed through my mind um, and aren't our minds so fascinating, fascinating. Like how we can do this like dual, this multi-purposing kind of thing. But, um, you know, it flashed through my mind, me hanging out in my grandfather's uh, food bank that his church ran mm. in Kaneohe, Hawaii, when I was a little kid and like going into the back room in the food bank and like, like we were, I was not 
I, I didn't live in a home that personally battled um, hunger, right? We were the family that was giving to hungry people. Um, and not that we had such great means, but, you know, we were basically at a church. And so it was sort of like we were supported by the community and then we could go out and give. But like, I would go in the back and I would personally like take snacks, <laughs> which my grandpa never knew that I did and would have totally scolded me probably for doing that. And then I think to myself, another time was when I was in college and I was running track at App State in Boone, North Carolina, and had for some reason, and probably because of the influence from childhood, you know, just really felt like while I was there and, you know, playing the sport and doing all this stuff, like, how am I going to give back? And so I worked for like this good shepherd ministry, not worked, I volunteered with this good shepherd ministry. And we would go deep into the hills of the Appalachian mountains. Like I'm talking deep where, you know, again, working in a food pantry and feeding people that lived in the mountains. And I'm talking, it would be like a foot of snow on the ground and people would come bare feet, wearing overalls, no shirt, like honest to God, speaking a dialect of English, I did not know existed. And I just remember thinking, Oh my God, like here I am just like eating in the cafeteria on my meal plan, running track, doing my thing. And there's these people that live not 10 miles out from where I am every day that don't have shoes and live in homes with no windows in the freezing cold and are coming here to be fed. Um, you know, and all to say that doesn't exactly answer your question, but I think I was just really heavily influenced by the things that I have seen and experienced from childhood. Um, even in the times where we would, you know, hang out with some of the poorest families, um, you know, in America, all that I remember from those moments when we would show up, let's say with groceries or with meals or have people over to our homes to eat was joy. Yeah, and it was happy yeah. and it was a fun time and it was hanging out. And it was, you know, when you give back to other people, specifically through food and through showing love tangibly through food, you know, Food is something that I think it's like, a, it's like one of those few things in life that it's like a level playing field. I don't care if you're a, if you are the richest man or woman in the Middle East to the poorest of the poor in some Southern state in the United States, like, or, or in a developing nation. I mean, we all know what it means to be hungry and we all need to eat about every four hours. <laughs> <laughs> and if we don't, we're not very happy that we're not. And so I don't know. I think I just have this association with the joy that comes from sharing a meal, the joy that comes from giving to others through um, providing food. And just like, I think using food as this tool to understand that like, oh man, we're all the same. And this is really fun that we get to do this together because we both know what it means to want and need this thing, which is, you know, sustenance. So it's such a powerful example of the global community that we're a part of. And I mean, I think about just when I have traveled, you know, internationally, one of my favorite things, you know, is, is trying the local food. And, you know, if you go to different countries, I'm like, all right, I mean, that's fine. I'll, I'll look at the, the, you know, the kind of quote unquote, like touristy places. But anytime I travel, I always go up to the person at the hotel or the, you know, inn or wherever we're staying. And I go, where do you eat? 
tell me your favorite place. I don't want to know where the tourists go. I want to know where you like. And I remember at, um, over the summer, my husband and my, my kids and I, we went on a, actually was, is actually a work trip for my, uh, husband. We went to Portugal, which is really a cool place. But I remember I was like, all right, I want to know, like my husband and I, we had a night where we were able to go out just by ourselves and the kids were able to go to like a kid's club in the hotel. And so I went up to the concierge and I was like, I need you to tell me where you would go on a date. And they were like, right away. They're like, I know exactly where to send you. And that was the best meal we had while we were there. I mean, by, by, by far, it was the best meal. And, you know, and then you get to know the servers and you, you talk with them or, you know, if you get to go somewhere where there's street food, Oh Lord, give me street food. I want a, (laughs) I want a sketchy food truck all day long. We're probably the, uh, sanitation rating is a C minus at best but you know, it's going to be good. <laughs> you know, I know in, when I'm in Haiti, um, cause we work there and we uh, develop products there. We eat this thing called chicken in a ditch, like a lot, right? You piqued my interest. I know. <laughs> I and like so chicken. chicken. I don't love ditches, but it's probably going to be delicious. But we don't love chicken in a ditch, but it's called chicken in a ditch because it is cooked basically in a ditch. Um, <laughs> But I mean, it's incredible or goat in a ditch we've had. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you got to be careful with those things. I usually do uh, come home with a bit of a stomach bug, probably Always. not from the chicken in a ditch, probably no. from, I don't know, other things, water or something. But um, yeah, I mean, and see, it's just those memories. Like you go to Portugal, like one of probably the most beautiful countries in the world. Um, and you know, the beautiful language and the culture and all this. And here we are talking about the restaurant that you went to on a date with your husband, which could have been glam, or maybe it it was, uh, you know, I don't know, more lowly, but it doesn't matter because what we're connecting on here is that thing that food does to all of us. It's like, it's memorable and it, you know, it just, we need it. And so it's just, it, it does create this human connection that is pretty much unlike anything else that exists. Yeah. And I was also, I was also thinking like kind of what you were saying when you go to Haiti, I think also food can be such a humbling thing to share as well. And I mean, I, so I've never been to Haiti, but um, just the, I mean, the, the primary developing country that I've been to is Kenya multiple times. And I'll say that the most memorable and I mean, I've gone to Kenya and like seen the lions. I've seen, you know, the the animals and the beautiful countryside and all of that. But my most memorable moments are being invited into a woman's home and her teaching me how to make chapati over a fire and, uh, you know, and watching her use her bare hands on this cast iron skillet and just being flabbergasted that she's not like burning every last layer of skin off of her hands <laughs> and, I, yeah. you know, making of chai tea and, you know, making some ugali and sharing these meals in these homes where the light is coming from like I have this very clear visual in my head where she had cut a hole in the roof of her home because her home didn't have any windows. And she'd put an empty two liter bottle in it to act as like a skylight <laughs> and um, and just sharing, you know, this meal of chapati and ugali and chai tea 
you know, and, and laughing and talking about our kids and how crazy our kids are and those kinds of things. And it's like when you have those moments and, and I, and I have those moments around our kitchen table, when we invite people into our home over a meal, there's something that disarms people when you get them around a table or in a couple of chairs and some food in front of them. And it just, you know, it, it just disarms them and they, and they are able to, to share and to open up and you can laugh and you can pray together and you can cry together. I mean, there's a reason that they talk about like one of the most important things that you can do with your children is eat dinner together. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, and it's too, I think for us, like, you know, we always say, and I don't know if we'd market this enough, but like food for us or like fighting hunger, it's just like the means to the end. Right. Like the end is actually really just what I think I'm even more passionate about, to be honest, is just human empowerment. Yeah. But food and using food, it's an easy foot in the door to anyone's life because of the things that you just said. It disarms people. It lets them know you care about them. It's a necessity. You know, I mean, there's nothing politically, uh, you know, I think slanted about Mm -hmm. the types of, I mean, maybe there's, I don't know, but typically there's nothing political or religious or anything about food and eating. It just is something we all need. It's like water. We just need it. And so for us, it's like we use food as a gateway into people's lives or into, you know, um, gosh, I mean, it can battle all manner of things. It can, it can loosen racial tensions. Mm -hmm. It can loosen tensions that exist between men and women. And it just, there's just so many ways that Using food or like for us, um, which, you know, this even probably better than I do farming and gardening, you know, it brings people together. It's calming. And so, but ultimately the goal of, let's say like working in our urban farm, you will, yeah, we are growing foods that we give to many, many um, really interesting places and homes here in Wilmington. But it's also a gathering place where if we're sitting there, you know, cutting kale, we likely, you know, though we may um, from an exterior level look very different, we're going to find out through this hour and a half of spending time together. Oh, we're very, you know, we have a lot in common or we know the same people or we, oh my gosh, we love the same hobbies. Are you sing? I sing. You run, I run, you know, whatever. And this is where like, it's just a means to an end to empower humans. Oh, you need that? I have that. Oh, I'll give that to you. Whatever. I mean, these types of conversations and interactions happen. I don't care if I'm in Haiti and we speak a different language or if I'm right here in Wilmington. I have countless examples of these moments where food has just sort of leveled that playing field. Right. And it's like, okay, we're both here. Let's get to know each other. Yeah. I love the way you describe that as fighting hunger and the mission of what you're doing as the means to the end. And that is such an important piece of this equation that I feel like so many people forget. And we can get honestly, and I think even too, I've seen it in the nonprofit space, where sometimes we almost forget the mission. Yeah. Um, And I see it in churches. Yeah. Oh, wow. Where, you know, what is the like, this is a really interesting thing that I haven't really thought about or like I, I think articulated or said out loud Um, where you start a nonprofit and you have this goal in mind 
And then you allow the busyness, the day-to-day minutiae, politics, money, all of the things to kind of influence your decisions. And eventually your original vision and mission gets muddied and you forget why you're doing what you're doing. And so I think what you said about reminding yourself that this is a means to an end is an important reminder. And man, that that'll preach because I think that there's a lot of people that you could take that exact concept and you could flip it to about a hundred million different things. I mean, I think you could say it with your children, the means to an end is you want your children to, to fly the nest, to flee the coop or whatever one day, but you want them to do, you want them to be responsible and to be kind, compassionate humans, you know, who love the Lord or serving others and um, have integrity and honesty. Well, that meal around the table each night, like that's part of that. And so sometimes, and I, I'm guilty of this as well. And I'm, so I'm preaching this to myself as well as like, reminding myself that when my children come home, that they are not in my way. They're not a burden. They're not (laughs) all these things. You know, sometimes it can be hard, like between that, like five to 7.30 PM time when just it's like the witching hour and you're just, oh my gosh, can I, my children go to sleep (laughs) is remembering the means to the end. I mean, I think it was with churches. What was the great commission that Jesus gave us? go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. And we can forget that because we started churches and all of a sudden we get bogged down into the, how much money is our church bringing in and how many people are attending on a Sunday morning and how many people have we baptized this year? And we're getting into the numbers, but we're not, are we discipling people? Are we impacting marriages? Are we changing family structures? Are we, uh, you know, breaking systemic systems that are, uh, you know, you know, I'm saying, I'm saying like, I could go on, I could go on. I could take like a hundred, you know, whether it's like in the nonprofit world and the for-profit world and families and churches, like that right there, what you said, and see, here we go. I've just, you've opened up a whole a whole can of worms, Carmen. You're doing it. You're doing it. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, we had a light, I had a light bulb moment here. And so that I think that is a, a really important reminder that nearly anybody, and this is the last thing I'll say, and then I'm going to shut up, um, is the people listening. I don't know what it is you're doing. I don't know if you run a business. I don't know if you're a stay-at-home mom. I don't know if you're a work-out-of-the-home dad or a work-from-home dad. I don't know if you're just a friend, if you're a college student, if you're a retiree. What is the means to your end? Like, what is the end goal? And if the end goal is like, you want to have a lot of money and you want to have alienated everybody in your life and you want to just like be buried with all of your earthly treasures. Great. <laughs> great. Right. Congratulations. Right. You're probably like, on the way. Not, not a great, not a great end and not a great means to get there for sure. Yeah. Right. And I think too, you know, I love that that like really struck you because I'll tell you, there was a very brief couple of years, you know, we've now been out this 13 years where I lost, I, I'm 
I thank God I'm, I'm not there anymore, but I lost our why I lost, you know, I think what happens sometimes, and it's kind of like, um, this thing that at work we call like the wearing down of the saints. There was this, gosh, I don't remember who actually coined this phrase. I, it was like, um, oh gosh, like a theologian, but like from like 400 years ago. And don't even quote me on that. Cause I'm wrong there. Anyways, there's this famous like minister or theologian or something that coined this thing, maybe a monk. I don't know. Anyways, I'll have to find that out. But uh, this phrase that our COO uses a lot where it's like the wearing down of the saints, where what happens is it's not like we wake up, you know, tomorrow and go, well, I just want to be selfish and self-absorbed and I want to be money hungry. And I just want to focus on that. That's not what happens. What happens is we miss a sales goal and then we're panicked mm-hmm. because we know that in order to feed kids in need, we have to sell stuff to give the money away. Right. And then the next month we miss the sales goal. And then the next month we miss the sales goal. And then you get so engrossed and you go through this thing where like, and that's just an example. There could be many things that cause this, but where you you know, start to focus more on the how to make the mission happen versus the mission itself, which I think sometimes if even in the peak, you know, the, whether it's the peak or the valleys of life, I think the valleys are what wear us down and cause us like those witching hours when the kids just cannot be, you know, satisfied. And it's right. like your day was crummy and the whole stinking family is at odds. And it's like, you know, that if that happens often enough, we're no longer thinking kumbaya dinner time. We're just thinking like, I don't like my kids anymore. What is wrong with me? Why am I a mom? Right. That's a bad place to be. Right. And so I think all to say for those of you listening that you're like, oh, geez, I'm in that category where I have just lost. I have lost my true north. I do not. I, I don't even think about the mission. I don't even like my kids anymore. I don't this. I don't that. Listen, you got two options here. You're either going to write yourself and go back true north and you're just going to have to make the choice or I promise you, for me, I believe it's God. Other people may not see it that way, but God is going to get you back on track. And it is not easy when he does it. He did it to me. He like took me out to where... I got so humbled and knocked off my my high horse that I was on that now when we have successes, and this is not the most healthy either, I, I fear them because mm. I, I even said last, we've been having a lot of success recently at work and I'm so grateful for it. And I think it is a byproduct of getting knocked off of my high horse and um, you know, sort of like climbing back up and now finding true north and being very heavily focused on our mission and giving back and being with the people. But when successes now come, I just said to our COO last week, I said, Tara, I, I I just, I fear now success because I can never go back to that place where I am self-serving. Like I just Mm, cannot go back to where I think that the things that I am doing are not being provided to me that I am creating them. And when we think that we are like the masters of our fate and the dictators of our destiny. I mean, and we don't recognize, you know, a higher power, other people that have gotten us there or whatever. It's just not a good place to be. And you're either going to have to get back there on your own. And I hope that is the choice you make, or I promise you people can call it karma. It's going to come get you. It came to get me. But if it does, if that is for those people that are like, oh no, I'm the one I'm like in the deepest pit of my life right now. 
I promise you, it's the best gift you can ever be given. Let, you know, it, what is, I think it's James, you know, let basically to paraphrase, let trials make you stronger because they produce perseverance. Perseverance will produce hope. You know, you got to let those trials shape you. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's James one, consider it a great joy when you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing. I love that so much. I've, that's my, one of my favorite books of the Bible and so much so that I, uh, am working on memorizing the whole book because it's, because it is the kind of stuff that like you have to call to mind when um, you're like, oh, I need to be slow to speak. (laughs) I need to be uh, quick to listen. I need to be making sure that I am not trying to use human anger to (laughs) accomplish something. You know what I mean? Like those, that is important to, to, to literally remind yourself of those things over and over and over again. And you're right for the person listening, like no matter what it is. And like I said, that you could be, because you can take this out, this whole idea of losing the sight of your true north, losing sight of that, what is the end goal and what is the means you're working towards. You can apply that t- to anything. And I really feel like this is this is the 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 gold mine here that I feel like we have stumbled upon yeah. because it is it is a really important piece of this equation of our lives. And when we, you know, get five, 10, 15, 20. 50 years down the road and we look back in hindsight, you know, so often hindsight is the biggest gift, but if we can be on the front end of it and not yeah. look back and go, Oh, I shouldn't have done that or whatever it is. Right. right. I to, wish I hadn't had to go through that. Yeah. Right. Course correct. Um, mm. is so important. And, uh, and, and like I said, it can be applied in anything. And I think too, in the last couple of years, I mean, COVID and all of that has been such a refining process for us as a culture, as us as people. And there's been a lot of, you know, just uh, pruning. I mean, not to like use an, you know, a farmy word, but it's true. And, you know, I think a lot of um, un- it's unveiled a lot of things in our lives that uh, I don't think we necessarily love about ourselves. Well, I, I mean, we are like running out of time and I don't even know how that happened. We are just, we, <laughs> look at this, Carmen. We just, we just, we could go all day. I love I it. Know. I love it so much. Um, okay. But before we go, because I, you know, there was a couple more things I wanted to ask you, but you know, that I know that you guys have been through, I mean, I know you've kind of alluded to it a little bit, but you've had to make a lot of decisions over the years about when to grow, you know, when to grow, when to shift gears a little bit. How did you know when that time was right? Um, and I realized that there's probably not like a super clear cut black and white answer. Um, but I know that that's been a big part of your story. So what has that looked like for you? I mean, I think what people have you know, from my own experience and what I would impart to anybody else is, and I, it's like, it's it's like so played out what I'm going to say, but you have got to trust your gut instinct, Mm -hmm. period, period. That's it. Trust it. Like 
You are here for good. You are here to do good. If you are a person who is consciously trying their best every day to make the best possible decisions you can, you're trying as best you can to be led by integrity and, you know, all of these good things um, that you, I, I sincerely believe most, I believe most people are good and and want to be wise and it's like you know the smallest voices uh, or or the smallest it's like the minority always has the loudest voices in in any case sometimes that's a cool thing sometimes that's not such a great thing but it's like i think sometimes the media can almost lend us or lead us to believe that you know all of humanity is doomed and just the bad people everywhere. It's not true. Most people are still good, <laughs> good, kind humans that want good for themselves and others. So because of that, I'm speaking to the masses when I say, just follow your gut instinct. When something feels off, it is off. When it feels like something has like a phase or a trend or something has died. And like, if you keep going, you, your business or your endeavor might die with it. You've got to pivot. And mm -hmm. if you'll just daily trust those gut instincts and do it in the face of adversity, because sometimes you will have members of your team. Like I have very often that I don't know if they just don't have business acumen, or if they actually are that minority that want the worst for you, I don't know. But like, sometimes the very thing that you know, to be the very best, most positive decision you can make, you're going to have those naysayers in your closest camp. Mm -hmm. That is the worst feeling. And I have lived through that more times than I wish. And even in the face of those people, I mean, I'm talking, this could be your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, or your closest confidant in your business. Even when they say they see it differently, if you checked all those boxes that I just checked, you're trying to lead by integrity and make wise decisions and you're checking your, your motives and all this stuff. Um, if you've kind of run through the gamut and your gut instinct still says to go a different direction, you just have to do it. And when I have done that, I cannot in this moment think of a single time it hasn't worked out, but I could think of times where I've gone against that and it hasn't worked mm. out. So that would be my best advice to anyone, you know, kind of stuck in that moment where it's like, gosh, which way do we go? Just look inside. You've got the answer. Yep. No, just don't suppress that. So, yeah, so good. Such a great lesson and often one of the hardest lessons to learn Ooh. can Ooh. be can be gut wrenching or it can be very easy. I mean, usually following our gut instinct is a very natural, easy process because it's kind of like there's no other way. But when those naysayers get in our way, that is when it can be just absolutely gut wrenching. But you yeah. got to do it. Because if you don't, you're not going to live your truth. And ultimately, you know, the decision is probably not going to work in your favor. Mm, mm, man, that's good. All right. Well, uh, for the listeners, I will obviously have Carmen's information along with how you can shop Half United in the show notes. But now is the final portion of the show where we ask a couple of final questions. And Carmen, uh, question number one is, what is the last thing that made you laugh? Okay. Um, like literally the very last thing that made me laugh, or like as 
just the most like, yeah, I mean, maybe it could be that it could be the thing that like last made you belly laugh. I like to leave it open ended. Oh my God. Well, okay. So, I mean, I don't know if this is going to be fun for viewers, but my brother and my sister-in-law had just gone to New York City this past weekend. And my husband and I picked them up from the airport last night. And we had, okay. So we, (laughs) for 21 years, we drove this red um, Toyota Tacoma that Zeth, my husband and I met in, in college. And it finally gave out. Finally. We loved this thing. I mean, it was so nasty. One time I was driving it literally down I-40, 80 miles an hour and the front left tire fell off. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, that might is, be one of the funniest that's things. That's terrifying. It was. Listen, I looked out the window like like totally Wizard of Oz style, like dan 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 and I see the wheel, the the actual tire bounce past my window, and I see sparks flying, and I'm like, the tire just fell off, and I'm like driving like this. And oh I have to my gosh! I was like, all right, here comes. I was like, here comes a concrete wall. I'm either going to hit that or I'm going to pull into this median and hope to God that the wheel shaft will dig into the earth and stop me. And it did. Thank God. Um, So that was actually looking back at just the whole thing of it is funny now that I've survived. But I'll just say my brother is just so stinking funny. And we had pulled up in a new car. We just got a Subaru, um, probably another car we'll have for like 21 years. And just the jokes that my brother was making about getting rid of the truck and, you know, this new car that we picked them up from. He just, no one could, I mean, well, maybe my husband could make me laugh more than my brother, but he just is so, his timing is so good. And so that was probably the last thing that made me laugh. Um, sorry, it's not like that. Funny no, one. I love it. I love it. So I, I think the reason I asked this question is one, sometimes, yes, it'll be like, Oh, let me tell you the story. And there are times I just love to know, like, what is the thing that just brings people joy? Uh, I love it. Um, okay. Well, my, my next question is what's the last thing that made you cry? Yeah. So recently, gosh, and it's, you know, it's so funny when we're in the moment, it's like our troubles just feel like they weigh a million pounds. Let me think about, okay, my last really good cry. I think business, I'd gotten to the point and I'm past it now, but I had gotten to the point even about a month ago where, like I said, we're having some great successes in business, but with that comes a lot of stress, a lot of working hours, just, I think I had gotten to the point where I was actually facing actual burnout and I was sort of getting numb where the successes weren't exciting me. The failures weren't terrifying me. That's a really bad place to be in. And I got numb and I have started watching TD Jakes on, on TV. I, I literally love that man. And at the same, same time, I find so many of his little quirks so funny and cute um but I was watching him and I think Zeth was not here at home and I think just some stuff that he was saying and encouraging and teaching I think I just like stood in my living room and like ugly cried and like just let it loose Mm. and and I think I just like kind of like wept and just you know just let I think we build up so many emotions. And sometimes the the best release for that is tears. And I'm sure there's there's a scientific reason why. Oh, absolutely. It's so cathartic. 
oh, and, and I just like ugly cried. And so I think just the release and just being at honest with myself that sometimes the bad can weigh heavy. And sometimes the good is even a little bit too heavy because it's too much for just us to bear. Um, and so, yeah, I think I finally just kind of like let that out and now I'm doing a little better. Yeah. Mm, mm, that's yeah. good. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Well, my last question is, you know, on your day-to-day, uh, life and in your day-to-day journey, how do you choose joy? Yes. So this is a cool one for me because I think, I mean, obviously it's funny. I didn't expect, um, on this discussion to talk as much about our faith as we kind of have like, um, inserted over and over, but I think I have recently, and I don't know if this is with age or, or like I said, like coming out of, you know, some really hard years in our business where I had lost my true North. And I think now that I'm getting it back, We're seeing success again. I know what it means to be a selfish, self-centered person that I'm never going to be again. I think now I have grown very comfortable and moderately obsessed. And I mean that in kind of a mild way. It's Mm -hmm. not a real thing. But with like literally trying to emulate like Jesus himself, like who was he? What types of things uh, did he say? What decisions did he make? Like, How did he love people and be with them? And not in this like, and no, no offense to like what I'm about to say, but not in like this K love, you know, Hey, I'm a Christian. I go to Starbucks and I wear plaid. Yeah. Like I, I I just, I personally want like absolutely nothing to do with that stereotype. I don't want to be stereotyped because I'm a Christian and I don't want, it, it stinks. Like the the stereotype that nowadays I think rightfully can be pegged on Christians, unfortunately. Um, I just want to like live the way that he did and try my best every day to like hmm. release, you know, this infatuation with like we're talking about these earthly pleasures. Right. Um, and just try and find a way to constantly just like love and be and just be a example of him. And I'm going to tell you, the more I'm doing that wholeheartedly and with no intention of anybody noticing this about me, and I'm not putting it on Instagram, this is not for anyone's highest praise, the more joy I am finding, the more satisfaction I am finding in both my my successes and my failures. I'm seeing the failures as like total gifts. I'm seeing the, the successes. I'm opening my hands with total gratitude. Like, I don't know. I'm just like following our dude. Yes. <laughs> and, it's, and it just like really is making a really cool mm. difference in my life. And it's, it just brings yeah. me a lot of joy. It's great. Yeah. Mm, so good. Carmen, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing in Wilmington and around the globe. And I'm really excited to see how things continue to grow and shift and evolve for you over the next, you know, mm. over the next 13 plus years. Yes. Thank you. I received that. Thank you so much. And thanks for what you do. I've been, I've been learning about all of the things that you do with your family, your business. It's fascinating. I like basically want, I want to be a homesteader. I want to be you gardening. Like, Come visit. yeah, gosh. I mean, I can't go to the grocery store anymore and not think, why am I not just growing this? Yeah. Like I can grow this thing I'm buying. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't grow Oreos. I'm I'm celiac, so I can't eat them anyways. But you what, can are, grow. Are Oreos like gluten free now? Or they have gluten free Oreos? 
don't tell me that. I think they do. I think they do. Cause I have a friend who's celiac and definitely has eaten some gluten free, gluten free Oreo. So maybe I just, maybe I, maybe I made your day. Maybe I ruined it. I don't know. You made it. <laughs> and you ruined it, but you made it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my, childhood, my favorite childhood pastime is coming back. I know. But it, yes. Thanks for all you do and what you're giving to the world. Thank it's you. great. You're awesome. Carmen is just what a gift she is. I loved this conversation, love her heart and her vision. And I hope that you did too. If there was something that you liked or something that you learned in this episode, I would love for you to let me know on social media. You can find me at still being Molly or at can I laugh pod on Instagram and Facebook. And if you would take a moment to head on over to whatever podcast app you are listening to this on right now, would you take a moment to hit that subscribe or follow button and take a moment to leave a review? Doing that just helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is impacting you. Be sure to tune in next week where my guest is Greg Jones, who is the president of Belmont University in Nashville. We talk all about hope. And if you are feeling hopeless or you just need a little bit more hope today, that conversation is going to be for you. So don't miss it next week. As always, thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And for you, I hope something this week makes you laugh till you cry. Bye. Bye.